Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. Today, I am joined by successful hunter, owner of Bone Mountain Outfitters, and a good friend of mine, Jeff Helm. Jeff has been going on DIY out-of-state whitetail and elk hunts for years, learning from the School of Hard Knocks. We discussed some of the similarities with big whitetail bucks and bull elk, boots on the ground, elk scouting strategies, adapting to elk personalities, keeping your hunting spots sacred, and much more to get you prepared for September elk hunting, which is coming quickly. 100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge to edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full-price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top-of-the-line heavy-duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck-owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima Overhaul HD bars on top, so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. 
So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house. You send us a message, an inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday story of the week, this one comes from Seth Bent out of Vermont. So Seth says, I started listening to you uh, last year and have since been listening almost every day at work. I absolutely love it. And you've been crushing it, man. So first of all, Seth, thank you for that. I greatly appreciate it. He said, this buck is from November 11th, 2018, the second day of rifle season. Day before, I think I jumped this very same buck, but that is a whole nother story. The second morning, my dad, grandfather, and I were hunting the same ridge top. One took top with one on each side, still hunting the ridge into the wind. I was on one side and had gotten a little ahead of them. Just So I decided to pop up, see if it, see more of the top and wait for them to catch back up. And when I did that, I had been, only been standing for a few minutes and heard some crashing coming towards me in the dry leaves. A doe came running out of a thicket and jumped over the ridge on the edge. And right after that, close behind her, another doe came out, but turned towards me and got within 15 yards before going over the edge to escape. I could hear one more was coming. And when he came into sight, I saw the rack. And luckily, he followed the second doe and came right to me. I stopped him and shot him only 15 yards away. He wheeled back around, ran out of sight. With my dad and Gramp not far away, they got there quickly. And we all got to walk up my biggest Vermont buck to date. And uh, that's an awesome story. And just an old, good old-fashioned still hunt. You know, the snow hunt, excuse me, still hunting in the snow and being able to to do that with a gun like that's such a cool hunt and great to be able to do that with family and just an awesome buck too so if you want to check that out head over to instagram east meets west hunt or facebook east meets west outdoors and check that out if you have your own story that you want to send in from a big woods mountain buck hunt send it in bo at east meets west hunt.com or just head over to east meets west hunt.com uh, and and uh send fill out the contact form and I'll add you to the list and can't wait to be able to share the story. So thanks for sending that in. I just got home late last night from Pro Orchard Challenge in Big Sky, Montana. So that was an awesome, really fun event. And it was my third uh, TAC event of the year and I got to do two of the Western ones, which was super cool. Uh, this one was, the venue was just great. It was uh Good time. I was there uh, helping out with sick gear. Got to go through a gear summit uh, the first night, looking through some some new stuff, some things that are coming out and and years in advance. And uh, that's really exciting to to get to hear hear about them, see some of these pieces, and and start testing it. So really really exciting stuff there. Got to meet a bunch of great people. I've got to shoot with a, a bunch of awesome people that I've uh, always wanted to, to meet and get to shoot with. And 
and it was just a good time. Now, as far as my shooting goes, I have some work to do uh, on on day two. I felt like I don't know. I didn't I didn't shoot as well, and uh, I think a little bit had to do with staying up late. But uh, I nonetheless, I have a little bit of work to do on the on the shooting front there with really elk season only being 30 days away for me. Uh, I decided to go out earlier than I was originally planning to Montana. So uh, that's that kind of today with me recording this here, August 1st kind of gave me a little bit of uh, anxiety that it's coming fast and I just got to get my, all my gear stuff finalized. Got to make sure just continually shooting every day, getting better with that and just getting everything ready. My hunt plans uh, finalized and, and get out there and, and get after it. So I thought this would be a great time to be able to release uh, this podcast with Jeff as I'm, you know, I'm sitting here preparing for, for my Montana elk hunt, archery hunt coming up here in just a month. And I know there's a lot of other people heading to Colorado, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, Oregon, and everywhere else getting ready. So Jeff is, is, uh, is like I said, has been a good friend of mine. Got to to meet him probably five or six years ago now, maybe longer. And he just continually gets it done uh, year after year. And he's, you know, uh, a Midwestern guy that, uh, well, now, now living in Texas, but just loves to get out, get out West and chase after bucks and bulls. So hope you enjoy this episode and we will see you next week. All right. We're live. Jeff Helms, my buddy from down the Lone Star State, Texas. What's going on, brother? Man, I'm just happy to be here. I know. I'm, I'm excited to get to hang out with you again. I feel like it's been a few years since we've, uh, got to be a total archery challenge together it has that whole 2020 and such debacle just kind of pushed everything off and yeah you know but we're back back in full swing now yeah we are and uh so you're hanging out at the the sicka booth and then i got my own booth here and it's funny because it's day three of the event and this is the first podcast that i'm doing (laughs) (laughs) already it's uh i really don't have much of an excuse other than just talking i love talking to people all day but it it becomes mentally exhausting and it's difficult for me to focus and do that i it's yeah it's just me personally (laughs) no i get and there's good energy here you know there's so many people that are glad to be out here on the mountain the weather's been pretty good minus some rain but yeah so everybody's super talkative yeah and uh (laughs) And there we go. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so anybody that's listening, the video podcast on YouTube, but uh, as we just said, a guy just walked right in front of the camera in between us here. But, awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, so Jeff, like I said, we've, we've known each other for quite a long time yeah. now. And uh, and you, you're you originally from Michigan yep. and uh, now, now residing down in Texas. Yep. So I want to start out with a little bit of a background on you growing up in Michigan and, you know, kind of the deer hunting heritage that you have there and then kind of where, where you got to now being down in Texas. Okay. So start out, give a little background on that growing up. Yeah. So I grew up, uh, split my time between um, Michigan. <laughs> and there's a lot of people here. Yeah. <laughs> split my time between Michigan and Indiana growing up um, and uh, started, had got my first bow pretty young. My dad got me into into bow hunting and uh, spent, I don't know, the better part of about five years trying to figure out how to kill a deer with a bow um, and doing the whole Michigan thing, basically. And uh, it's a lot like Pennsylvania, I feel, you know, in talking and stuff. A lot of 
a lot of bow hunters, a lot of people in the woods, a lot of competition, um, but also a lot of camaraderie, yeah. a, lot, a lot of bow shops, a lot of smack talk, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, people just going out there and from all different walks of life, different uh, levels of expertise, trying to figure it out. Um, I, th- I feel like Michigan is similar. Pennsylvania's got a little bit more, you know, mountain bucks, yeah. so to speak. But we do have some hardwood bucks and, you know, some big woods bucks, the UP especially. Yeah, northern Michigan. When I was up there for Toro Tree Challenge last year, even yeah. heading up that way, I was like, man, there's some, some awesome country there is. up through here. There is. But same struggle that you go through. It's all about age class. Yeah. You know, they shoot a lot of young bucks, unfortunately. Um, but a lot of heritage. It was good. So been a bow hunter since i can remember you know mm-hmm. just like i said i think i got my first bow when i was seven or eight okay um, um that's what about um what about the deer camp tradition did you have like a deer camp that you went to or anything like that when you were younger growing up in michigan you know not necessarily i, I i'm i'm a bit jealous of that because i feel like pennsylvania's got a lot of that yeah um and uh you know i definitely even though my dad got me started in bow hunting I'm definitely a lot more passionate about it than he was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was moments where we'd go and put, put groups together and stuff and, and head up north and, you know, do some deer camps, but not a ton. It was mainly me grinding it out with some buddies, trying to figure how this thing worked. And um, I did do, uh, as I got a little bit older and graduated high school, I started hunting a lot more with one of my dad's buddies that was really successful. And he's actually the one that uh, got me to start going out of state to hunt. And he was actually there the first time I killed a bull. And he and I missed a bull at exactly the same time. And uh, and I loaded a follow-up shot quicker. And uh, it's a long story, but the short version is this bull came in right between us, and we both missed him because it was so thick at 15 yards. Really? Yeah. And he kind of took two bounds, stopped, and at 24 yards, I shot him. Really? Um, but so, so really, I learned a lot from that guy, and uh, he was really my dad's buddy, but he was a killer. And, uh, you know, you find that you gravitate towards those guys that are killers. Yeah. And he taught me really how to scout, how to break property down, how to find animals, and, and how to get through the mental battles and really become a killer. Yeah. No, that's that's exciting. And just finding those mentors is, is so difficult. But once yeah. you find those people, it's like soaking it all up the best that you can. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hunted a lot with him uh, from the time I was about 17 or 18 till... Oh, man, probably close to 15, 20 years. We don't hunt together much anymore, but uh, he was there. I killed my first Boone and Crockett whitetail. You know, he was there for my one of my biggest bulls, like a lot of my bulls. I've I've hauled bulls off the mountain for him. And, yeah. And uh, it's, it's kind of cool. One camp that we were in, I was the only guy that was under 60. <laughs> really? Yeah. And that was elk hunting? Yeah. Yeah, we went, uh, we went four for four. Really? Yeah. What state was that in? That was in Wyoming. Wyoming. Okay. Yep. Oh, that's so cool. Yep. And you would start, you'd, you were telling me, I think last night, you had started hunting out west in what, 2005? Or Yeah. I started hunting elk in 2005. Okay. So you, okay, let's back it up a little bit. You started hunting deer other places before yes. that. Why, why did you decide to, like, what made you decide to, you wanted to get out of Michigan and check out, like, some other areas? Um, it was mainly age class. I was looking for age class, and and of course you, um, 
you see these articles that on you know in magazines and you would see different things and you're like man i'm struggling to find find a two and a half year old 100 110 inch deer and these guys are killing big bucks you know in all these other states ohio indiana yeah. you know iowa kansas obviously there's some big ones like that and so my buddy um, that I was telling you about, Tom. Yeah. He uh, started going out two or three years before me, and I'll, I'll never forget, he came home and he had a 180-inch buck. And uh, I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> and he had killed a 180-inch buck, and then he killed like a, a solid 150s buck, and um, he's like, you need to go with us. I'm like, all right. So in 2000, I started going and uh, hunting out of state, looking for, you know, four or five-year-old deer. And... Uh, Man, I just had a blast. I got addicted to it. And um, the more you do it, the more you're around. It was so cool the first time that I really felt like, um, wow, you know, here's these spikes and these yearlings. And and then here's these mature bucks. And and, and you start to see this hierarchy and these age classes form. And you're like, oh, my gosh, that's what this is like (laughs) versus just shooting the first four point that comes in, you know. And uh, it was exciting. It was different. And it felt so much different than everybody back home. And I just got addicted to it. So I started, you know, saving all my money and and getting everything ready so that you could go for, you know, seven days or however long you could um, to go chase these big bucks. And it's just incredible. And and so at that time, um, what were you doing for work like at that at that point? I uh, I'm a journeyman machinist, tool and die maker. And so um, I have worked in a machine shop most of my life, uh, or a variation of that. I was a programmer, um, 2000, I guess I would have had my journeyman's card and, uh, I was a CNC programmer, okay. CNC machinist and programmer and wire EDM. Um, uh, actually I was, a a foreman uh, that uh, by that time. And so I would save my two weeks vacation yep. and basically I would spend it deer hunting. Spend it deer hunting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, uh, I, I don't know if it was around this time that you kind of went out on your own with doing with work and as far as having your own. A few show. years later, okay, yeah, about five or six years later, I went off on my own and started a machine shop. Did hunting have any play in that? Any reason behind that, or was this just kind of like with your career and progression in that? Ultimately, y- yes. the The short answer is yes. Um, the one thing that I've learned over time is that. Um, Money isn't as important to me as time is. Uh, time is the most important thing, and obviously a lot of things in my life have taught me that. But um, I wanted to be able to control my schedule a little bit more. And um, in order to go and do these things, it's super hard when you're tied to a job. So you needed to find a job with flexibility or start your own company where, yes, you still your customers are really your boss in a lot of ways, but you still have flexibility. Yeah. No, I th- I think I I figured that was kind of be your answer yeah. there, and I've heard it from so many that have been able to hunt more and do that. And, you know, my own reasons too of like sure. wanting to 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 go out on your own and and do that. And it, it's it takes a different type of person to be able to do that because there's a lot of that's scary to oh, yeah. uh, to go and jump and and do that. And yep. and I think uh, that's a it's admirable to to see that that you went and did that and and was able to start chasing, you know, animals around in different states that you wanted to and have those those different types of experiences. Yeah. 
And so as you started getting into the whitetail game and chasing those around and becoming more successful, is it at that point that you were like, okay, or what made you, what drew you to start hunting elk? Because one one thing I do want to say real quick is not to cut you off, but every time I talk to you, I learn more and more about you that I just, I just laugh. I'm just like, I feel like I I must not ever really knew you that well, because every time I talk to you, there's just more and more and more I keep finding out. And it's, it's uh, pretty cool. One of them that's, you've been, you've been hunting out West for a long time and uh, just, just been grinding at it and learning it and just continually getting better at it. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, I I think that you and I are wired similar on some levels. Yep. And um, so when I started going out West and doing the whitetail thing, I was, I felt like most of my friends didn't want to go with me until after the success came. But in the beginning, I couldn't convince any of them to go. So here I was with these older guys, but I was really on my own because at the end of the day, they would tell me what they were doing, but I had to go find my own spots, my own tree stand locations, all this other stuff. So it became this game to really figure out property and to look at a piece of property, whether it's 40 acres or 4,000 acres, and go, all right, I know that 80% of this property is crap. Like, most of the deer in 20% of this, you know, for the most part. And I got really pa- I got really passionate about figuring out property, and I started to get, you know, good at killing big bucks. And I had a buddy that lived in Montana. Um, his name is Jared Lyle. Um, he's actually now the CEO of Hunting Fool. Yep, I know Jared. And uh, do you really? Yeah, okay. yeah. I had him on the podcast before. Okay, Jared's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and I'd know I've known Jared since probably ninety eight or ninety nine. Wow. <laughs> and so every year, Jared and I would talk all the time, and and he was a general manager, a trophy taker, and so we would talk. And I actually met him and his wife at ATA in like ninety eight or ninety nine, long time ago. Wow. Yeah. And uh, we would talk and we'd share pictures. And I love that guy. He's, he's very passionate. He's in, in this industry, I find that you hold on to the sincere ones and you flush the a-holes, yeah. right? And Jared's one of the good ones. And so we would talk. And, and as I started to get onto this train I, of, of hunting out west and stuff, he's like, Jeff, you really need to try elk hunting. And uh, I'm like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And so finally, after a couple years of Jared, you know, telling me I should try it because he knew how passionate I was about knocking down big whitetails. And I started to knock down Booner whitetails, you know, year in and year out. And some good stuff was happening. He's like, you got to, you got to get into elk. Like, okay. So we finally went and, and 2005 was the first year that we went out and we just, we picked a spot on the map and, and, uh, decided that we were going to go out there and, and give it a go. And, and there was, um, I guess there was four of us in camp. And we were all four from Michigan. Um, nobody had killed an elk before. And uh, we just we started marking out stuff based on paper topo maps, right? There's no yep. Onyx or anything like that. And we started marking stuff out. And, all right, you go that way, you go that way, I'll go this way, I'll go this way. And let's just, let's just find the elk, you know. Let's do just what we do with whitetail on these big public land chunks and different stuff. Let's do it with elk. Like, we don't know what we're doing, yeah. but let's try. 
And uh, so we we did. We just split up and we started looking. And I found elk um, in one of the spots that I checked. And uh, I went back. And you, you know when you go back to camp and I'm like, I found elk. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's elk heaven. Yeah. They're everywhere. You're not going to believe it. You know, and I was just so pumped. And, uh, <laughs> and so we were all pumped because we were doing really this – truck hunt you know we were in the at the trucks we had a camper we had a tent and then we were just going scouting well once we found him we decided to bivy because it was it was like i don't know i think it was four and a half miles back in or three and a half miles back into where we found him and we were like we don't want to do that every day so let's bivy in there and um you know we bivied back in there and um we were blessed that first year i i killed an elk i killed six point (laughs) no way i I'm going to tell you it was it was dumb luck and perseverance. Yeah. Um, I really didn't. I, I wasn't a good elk hunter. We just, we were just consistent to put in the work. Yeah. You know? You, you know, there's a couple things that that I, I want to unravel with that. But one is the whole thing about the, the persistence thing is I, I've said it on here a hundred times, but all the people I talk to that are the most successful in what they do, it all comes down to that they just don't quit and they just mm-hmm. keep doing the same thing day in and day out they're not not everybody no matter how good they are is going to be successful no day one day two day three but it's the ones that go to the very end and until that last clock that ticks midnight and they can't hunt anymore or whatever not really midnight but you know what i mean and that those are the ones that continually do it and and even if you don't know exactly what you know if it's obviously would be in a new species for you but you probably took you know some of the stuff you said it from what you learned with whitetails yeah and figuring them out and applied it and just figured it out as you as you kind of went there experience is a good teacher and i tell people all the time that they they want the secret or whatever there is no secret Mm. success never goes on sale you always have to pay full price right (laughs) always you're a killer right you and your dad kill big bucks i respect the hell out of that um at the end of the day when you go out into the mountains don't forget that you're a killer like utilize those skills into this different animal but at the end of the day there's so many parallels between whitetails and big elk there really are there's differences too yeah but there's so many parallels especially in early season and late season you know elk are the more i learn about elk and the more i go through it um the more i feel like i don't know anything it's crazy (laughs) to me it is absolutely crazy (laughs) It, you know, and I, I even feel that way about whitetail yeah. too. Like yeah. every year, I feel like you know, you think you you think you got something figured out, and then you get there and they teach you something that's like, all right, this is going to be uh, figured out as you go. See what the situation takes, and make the best play based off of what you what you're seeing, and, yeah. and kind of go through it. And like you said, experience is such a good teacher, and just getting out there and trying it. If you wouldn't have went out, or you needed to have everything perfect, or you needed to, you know, obviously the time there wasn't podcast or wasn't all those sure. other things but even if there was like there's there's no like right time there's never gonna be that perfect time to try something or do it it takes doing it and understanding the fact that that it's gonna take work oh 100 percent. and there's so many audibles that need to be called right yep. like i know I, i'm sure you people come up to you all the time and they want to know you know they want to talk to you about a situation or different things at the end of the day there's so many audibles i'm like yep. you don't understand based on Based on the the state you're in, based on um, the the season you're in, the weapon that you have, um, the hunting pressure, you know, uh, just so many, the weather, you know, so many different things that you have to call audibles on. And I love the fact that I'm constantly being reminded that 
I know nothing. <laughs> you know, like I know nothing. <laughs> like, dang it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So another another thing I thought about in that story was it was your guys' first elk hunt. Yes. And you decided to bivy back in. What was that like? You know, <laughs> uh, we we were so backtrack. My buddies um, that were my dad's friends yeah. had gone before, so. I kind of had an idea. I growing up, I'm a big backpack guy. Yeah, like my dad took me into Yellowstone, and we did 14 days of uh, okay. of of camping off the grid. Like we literally started one place, and I want to say we did like 46 miles. Um, did some trout fishing, hiked some peaks, and so I actually had some gear and loved uh, camping and and hiking and stuff. So. I'm not going to say I had it all right. I didn't. Um, We definitely, I mean, we almost, it was bad. Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S. And I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. I, did, I had a terrible backpack. I had this internal frame backpack that was a total piece of crap. Was it you like know. a backpacking specific one, or was it a hunting pack? It was. A, it was a glorified. I don't want to use the the company's yeah. no, name, but it, it. it was a glorified day pack, is what it was. Yeah. And you try putting eighty pounds of meat in a glorified day pack. I mean, I have. I still have pictures of me laying on the ground, like this is terrible. I'm never gonna be. Do- I'm never gonna be here again. Yeah. You know. You get all this weight on your shoulders, oh, yeah. like just crushing it's you. Dead, <laughs> dead. Like, like your your the top of your arms start to go numb, you know. And you're yeah. like, this is not good. No bueno. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I I always like hearing like first you know backpack stories or anything else because like anytime that the first time I did it and I felt like I had done all the research and had yeah. some pretty good gear and still struggled and just like screwed up so many different oh, yeah. things but that's the it's fun talking about it afterwards 100% yeah. 100% <laughs> it's 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 fun to to laugh about it and and learn about it but it's crazy that, that you know when you you killed your elk on that that first trip did anybody else on that trip kill yeah we killed one other bull I actually killed the little one um another one killed uh, I my bull was a really nice six point. I mean, I mounted him, put him on the wall. Yeah. Right. Super proud of him. But we killed another six by six. That was three twenty. Really? Yeah. And, wow. And so I killed mine on on more of the front end. And like I said, it was 
it was dumb luck um, on some levels. That yeah, we did a few things right with the thermals and you know different things. Looking back, but we also did a lot of things wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the keys was we split up and found the elk, though. That was definitely key. Covering ground, figuring out. You know, you can't kill elk where there aren't elk. Yep. You know, don't spend too much time in an area that doesn't have elk. And um, that was one thing we did right, and we learned that based on hunting whitetail. I was just gonna, I was just gonna ask you that. So is that the way you kind of look at like whitetail hunting? Like, mm-hmm. okay, so if you're chasing after big deer, it's like, oh, obviously you don't, you can't hunt big deer where there's not big deer. Yeah. And is that how you kind of look at when you're going into a spot, like from a whitetail standpoint? One hundred percent. And okay, so with elk, you split up and you go out, and you, you know you had everyone split and trying to find it. Is that what you do? Say, or even I guess if it was just you going somewhere, is that what you do? Just cover as much ground, hit as many areas as you can until you find what you're looking for. Yeah, I'm I'm doing a lot of boots on the ground. It's in today's day and age, there's a lot that you can do with you know e scouting and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day. It still doesn't equal boots on the ground, and yep. uh, and elk change. They change based on uh, fires. They change based on forage um, pressure. You know, uh, just all kinds of different things. So, um, you know, there's areas that they may be the first part of the season that that they're not going to be. You know, the second or third week. Um, you know, I've even learned as of recently in the last five years. Um, you know, I was blessed to draw a really good elk tag in a in a a really good unit and i spent so much time there and i had a buddy that that was there that knows this unit so well i learned a lot about elk that blows my mind in the fact that a lot of times let's say elk live in a certain area or consistently hang at a certain elevation or something like that they may rut in a totally different place and a lot of times bulls have consistent areas they rut in which I didn't really realize that. Yeah. As a Midwesterner, I just kind of thought, whatever, let's go out there and make a mess, you know? Let's, yeah. Let's get after it. And and now I realize there's more to it than that. And uh, it's fun. Yeah. And and you were talking about, like, the parallels with the, the early season and the late season, you know, with whitetails and elk. Like, what have you learned about, like, elk? Like, you're talking about things you notice, but what are the things that you've notice that can change them year to year um and what what are the, some of those things like early on that you were looking for because that that hunt that you're you were just discussing there that was 2019 i think you were telling me yeah i think was, it is was yep. it okay yep. and what time of year were you out there hunting um so i had earmarked um i want to say a total of 25 days to hunt because it was a really big tag for me it was a 20 some year point tag and so my plan um, was to hunt the first 10, 11 days of season and then like the last 10 or 11 days of season. Okay. And, and cause it's two different styles, right? Yep. Um, that particular state of the season starts mid August. Yep. Well in mid August, they're just starting to strip, you know, velvet. Um, and you know, they're not ruddy at all. Um, but now give them two weeks. Now they start to get into that, you know, that rut mode where they're starting to, you know, pull pull cows together and, you know, they'll change areas completely yeah. sometimes. So um, that was one of the things that, that I learned about it. And then obviously those last two weeks or last 10 days of season, they're, they're rutting. 
you know, yeah. they're looking for pooty poo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that, yeah, that changes your focus based right. on, like, in, in the, the beginning of the season was, like, water important or how, with yeah. it being August, I'm sure that had something so to do with it. So this particular unit that I hunted, there was so much water that we really didn't focus on that. I was okay. blessed. My buddy is one of the most prolific outfitters in that unit. Yep. And um, he was incredible. Uh, Ryan Carter. Yep. Um, Ryan I've had Carter, Ryan on here before. He's, he's the man. He's an awesome I dude. Lo- I learned so much. I felt like after hunting with Ryan, I pretty much had to take everything I knew about elk hunting and just flush it down the toilet. It was a <laughs> totally different lens that I went through because of the amount of information. Um, I literally, it made me feel like I was this kid from Michigan that just went out on the back 40 and just screwed up everything. And that's how I was elk hunting. I literally was just going out there and screwing up everything. And I can't tell you, it it expanded my whole idea that elk have personalities. Just like your bucks have personalities. You know they do. Yeah, definitely do. You have hunted mountain bucks, I guarantee it, that are reclusive, that aren't social, you know, that uh, that aren't necessarily um, aggressive to speak of. Bulls are the same way. They're not all the same. Don't put them in the same boat. You have bulls that are very reclusive, that hardly care about breeding. Um, and then you have other bulls, they're king of the mountain. That's all they care about is breeding. Yeah, and they, they want to make it known that mm-hmm. they are. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And those are the ones that are usually easier to kill. Usually. Yep. Um, and I, so I started, it just expanded my thought process. And Ryan, when I drew that tag... And Ryan said he'd do everything he could to help me. And and he gave me the keys to the mountain. He gave me the keys to his trail cameras. He he helped me with game plans and a list. He put up a couple tree stands. Like, we literally were focused on travel corridors and benches and, you know, different things. Not necessarily water because there was so much. There was so much. And, and I noticed that the water that we did have, especially that the bulls were using a bunch, was in areas where the wind sucked. I mean, sucked. And that big bulls will utilize wallows and they will utilize water that is in their favor. Where if you're sitting there, There's they're no not chance. coming in. Yeah. It's just like a mountain buck, right? Yeah. Like you sit in there and you're like, I, I can't sit that water. I sit that water, guaranteed he's going to come down this edge, he's going to scent check me. And he's not coming in. Yeah, or it's going to swirl, or it's yes. going to do. Yeah, yes. It, you know, there's there's a wall I can remember in Colorado that that we've that had luck as far as it with elk always being in there and stuff. And I tried sitting it, I could never figure out. No matter how I looked at it, I was just like lost because no matter what I did, whether it was the thermals or the wind or just the way it was kind of in this hub that was creating all these swirling things in this bottom, yeah. that I, I couldn't hunt it. Yeah. No matter what I did, yeah. so I had to hunt like. The fringes of it that might have been 250, 300 yards away because I couldn't hunt that specific spot. And it made sense why it was so active and they, yeah. were, they were using it. Yeah. and Which, man, it's exactly like that. That big bull I killed in Utah. Yeah. Um, I ended up killing him those spots. There was a particular, Ryan had a camera up in there that bulls were daylighting, but it was a box canyon. And the wind was terrible. So what I ended up having to do is I ended up having to camp out on the outskirts of the Box Canyon on the edge away from where they were bedding and where they were coming in until the thermal switched. And when the thermal switched, 
and that box canyon would all of a sudden toilet bowl and start dumping out in this one little crevice, yep. basically. And as soon as that thing would switch and it would start dumping out, I could still hunt up into where those wallows were. And I had about an hour and a half of daylight that I could actually hunt that box canyon. Interesting. And that's where I killed my bull. Really? Yes. Oh, and, and that's, again, the same thing. It goes right back to the whitetail side of things. Yeah. It looks like, okay, so you have, like, this, this beautiful saddle, all this stuff that usually draws hunting pressure or anything, or a thermal hub that's down in the bottom, and you, you can't hunt it because of the winds and everything. Mm-hmm. But you look at, okay, where are these spots away from it? And it's funny because, like, my dad's always, like, pushed this part of, like, sometimes you can't hunt the best sign. you got to hunt where you can hunt that leads, you know, to and from it or however – And then when I was doing our our scouting camp, we had Bill Thompson from Spartan Forge who has thousands of years of cumulative deer data from collared deer. And he said that the most time that you find the matured bucks that are moving in the the daylight spots are on some of those fringes. He's like, you look at a saddle and he showed how you you can move back. And every spot's going to look different. You can't just say, go to this bench off of this or this far away. Correct. But it's basically saying what what you're able to to be able to access and hunt. The idea behind it is the same, right? Now you have to apply it differently based on the geography and, you know, different things. But the thought process is exactly the same. And it is awesome. Like, I never, my bull never made a peep. He never sounded off. I heard him in the wallow, and I couldn't even move into him because the the wind was bad. Yeah. You know, and I kept checking, checking, so I ended up moving off the wallow where I thought he was going to come into, and um, and I, it, it worked out. How close did he come in? So I had him at 40, but I didn't shoot him because he was moving. Yep. And you know how big bucks... Bulls are the same way, how they'll come in and instead of going into the clearing, they'll stop just shy of the clearing, they'll survey, and then they'll go in. Well, I knew that. I figured that. Yeah. So literally, he walked by me at 40, and then he walked past one of Ryan's cameras, um, and then he walked into this opening, and he stopped right before he got into the opening. And looked around, and he was forty-five yards. And you had, away. yeah, I would say you I had that done. shooting. You I knew it already. <laughs> it was over. Yeah, yep. it's just it's those little details. Like if anybody's like listening to this and thinking about like those little details mm-hmm. when it comes to a setup. Again, we keep talking about these parallels between elk and and deer, but it's the exact same thing. It's the the little details within yeah. the the big the big picture. There, there could have been twenty other elk hunters that could set up the exact in mm-hmm. the exact same spot or that same opening, but if they don't set up right with that ability to be able to do that, they won't kill that bull. Don't forget what you know, yeah. right? If you're a predator, you're a predator. You take those same skills and apply it to this, you know, to elk hunting, and uh, it pays off time and time and time again. You know, oh, that's that's so cool. I I love, and that was Donnie was on with you yeah, on that. Yeah, I love D-dubs. those photos because yeah. I, I think I think one of them was on a cover of a magazine or something of that yeah. bowl. I remember yeah. where you just being freaking fired up. Yeah, and anybody that knows Helm, like he's just like the most happiest guy. Like gets super excited. And it just like had everything in that picture. Like he did a great job capturing that moment. It, Donnie's obviously an amazing photographer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the way that worked out is that I killed my bull just, uh, almost last 15 minutes of daylight, basically last 20 minutes of daylight. And, um, nobody was with me. I was by myself. Uh, but I got cell service and, um, I watched the bull tip over, and I got cell service, and I, I let everybody know. So I 
I, I was way back in the middle of nowhere, and it was going to get down into the 30s. So I knocked the guts out of him, propped him up, and uh, went back down to camp. It's a couple hours to get to camp. And the next morning, everyone went in with me. Donnie went in with me, Ryan, uh, my buddy Kyle, and actually a guy I met on the mountain, actually, that was hunting spikes and cows. Um, He met me up there, too, and he helped us haul the bull off. So that morning, Donnie caught all this. Basically, uh, there was no posing or or anyone that knows me knows I'm just a goofball. I'm not a good actor. Um, And literally... Well, the way that happened is Ryan, uh, Ryan and I were up there. We just soaked it all in, right? It was amazing. I got the best of both worlds. Here I was hunting, great unit, killed a good bull. Then all my buddies are there to celebrate yeah. with me. And Donnie cooked uh, uh, tenderloin over a fire um, <laughs> up there. It was amazing. It was so cool. And uh, basically we're sitting there around this bull, and I'm just we're telling stories, walking through it, you know, just walking through everything. And my buddy Ryan looks over at me and goes, and he knew when I when he did that I was gonna Ric Flair, right? Yeah. And I was all fired up already. And Donnie's over at the side. I don't even pay attention to Donnie. I'm looking at yeah. Ryan and I'm like, Woo you know, <laughs> and just ripped it, you know, and he caught it. Yeah, that was and, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't you could not you could not reenact that in a million years if you wanted to and have oh. him get the shutter rate at that time. And then when he <laughs> called me later, he's like, Hey bud, I just wanna let you know we're probably gonna be on a cover of Eastman. So I'm like, Oh, he goes, you good with that? I'm like, is it good for you? He's like, yeah. I said, all right, cool. And then he showed me the picture. I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, well, that's typical. <laughs> that's so awesome. It was cool. It was awesome having him up there. He's a good dude. Yeah, I love spending time around Donnie. He's a killer. Yeah, he is. He's a, he's he's a, a killer. killer no matter where he goes. Ryan's he a killer. Yeah. Kyle's a killer. Donnie's a killer. I love hanging around people. You know, I'd love to hang around your dad. Yeah. You know, you and your dad are killers too, man. I love being around people that have that and grab the next gear and really focus on being a predator. And uh, it's awesome picking their brains. And it helps you. It helps you so much just being surrounded by those type of people. Yeah. And you're around them, and just like it, just makes you so much better by yeah. being around. I like being. I like being the lowest man in the totem pole. In the Amen. Room and uh, just soaking in all that stuff. And, and like when when I put on that scouting camp, like that was the whole idea. It wasn't like it wasn't me going to be up there and talk in front of people. I brought in four of the or five of the best deer hunters and their specific thing that they that I felt with Big Woods and had it and almost did it as like an open podcast. We just start talking about things and bounce. I learned more. I learned oh, just yeah. as much as anybody that was a student in that classroom. Yeah. Everybody else that was there, I learned stuff from the students. When you put yourself in a scenario and you're around, you know, just high level people and whatever their field is, like uh, their expertise, it just makes you better and and it, it's best to just shut up and listen at that oh, point. Oh, 100%. I, <laughs> this past year, I, I helped. Uh, there was a guy that came down in our area that put on a, uh, a camp for elk. And uh, I just told him I'd volunteer if he needed trash pickup or cooking or whatever. I just help. I love being around elk hunters, right? Yeah. And uh, so I was just a fly on the wall. And I was shocked sitting in the back. There were some really good people that were up teaching. And I was shocked how much of the secret sauce they were given. And like you said, you're yeah. back there. You're like, ooh, that, yeah, that's secret sauce right there. Like what, you just what, put it into camp? words. It was uh, elk shape. Oh, Dan, yeah, yeah, Dan. I went to one of his ones in Pennsylvania. It was awesome. Actually, yeah. there was right before you walked up. There was like four other students yeah. that I was in the class with. Yeah, awesome. awesome Joel event. Turner was there, yeah. and uh, Dirk, and 
you know, different people. And man, just there were so many hungry students. Yep. And it was awesome to just sit back and, and listen, you yeah. know. Um, tree line pursuits, you know. Oh, that, yeah. That Mark guy, Lewis, was, yeah, that dude, man, he he made me feel inadequate at e-scouting. <laughs> you know? I was like, wow. Yeah. But I love the hunger. You know, I never, at that camp, I never felt like there was uh, this big prideful thing or whatever. It was it was hunger, you know, hunger about elk hunting and trying. There was a lot of people there trying to figure out how to, you know, seal the deal. Because much with the same as killing big bucks and killing big bulls is the same way. It's thin threads why people are unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference between being successful and not successful is one branch, one miscue. Yeah. <laughs> Just missing a yardage, um, being on the back side of a tree instead of a front side of a yeah. tree, choosing to be over here where the contour will take your scent away from this danger zone. You know, a lot of times it can't be perfect, but if you can get it close and, but your scent's pulling or not understanding thermals or you name it, it's just little things. Yeah. I, and so another thing that, you know, you were mentioning there about, you know, having that, you were hunting by yourself, but you had that group dynamic of everyone coming to help out and everything. But I also know from talking to you that you like to hunt elk by yourself a lot. I do. Yeah. And explain a little bit about why and kind of that, you know, dynamic versus the, the group setting. Uh, it's complicated. Um, there's a lot of different places I could go with that. Um, well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped. After playing around with the buddy's Hoyt RX-8, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the GoStix 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX exact cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. So, all right. Number one, I I just don't know where I want to take this. But let me say that, um, number one, I trust myself, right? And uh, I do hunt a lot with my son. He's 19. He's, he's been on the mountains with me since he was eight. Um, he's been on 90% of my elk hunts probably. 
Uh, he's hauled elk off with Jared Lyle. <laughs> like, I've elk hunted with Jared a couple times. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I was there when Jared killed one of his biggest bulls up until a few years ago, and I helped him haul that, that bull off and cut it up at 2 o'clock in the morning, right? Um, but I'm very careful with who I bring into my circle to actually elk hunt with. Um, I want to hunt with people that they're just as excited if I kill a bull as I am if they kill a bull, right? And most people give that lip service, but they're not really that excited um, because uh, it's hard. It's very, it will mentally break you down. I've watched people quit um, on an elk hunt so many times. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. It is mentally taxing. Yeah. And I need people around me that wake up and say, today's the day. Today's the day. Well, it hasn't been the last 14, but today is the day. We are going to get it done today. And um, those are who I want to be around. Um, and, and I want people that are willing uh, to help each other. Uh, I want people that are predators. Um, I do enjoy helping people kill their first animals. And I've been lucky to do that on more than one occasion. Uh, but I, when it comes to elk hunting, I'm a little bit selfish. Um, I either want to be in a crew that is really equally yoked. Um, there's a lot of people that don't pay the price, but then they want to go with, with me or go with you. You know what? You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Like they they don't want to do the work, they don't want to be prepared, but they want to go into your elk camp. Yep. And um, I nicely just have to say no. You know. Um, that being said, my core that I hunt with. I'm hunting with Donnie Wilson this year. Yeah. Um, I love hunting with Donnie. I'd hunt with Ryan Carter any day of the week, Kyle Ostrand, you know. Um, I There's quite a few people that I hunt. I'm hunting with a good buddy of mine, Kiviok, this year, uh, Billy Van Ness. Like, there's some guys that I absolutely love to hunt with that they're killers. Mm-hmm. I love to be the dumbest guy in the in camp. Yeah. You know, that's if, if I can be the worst elk hunter in camp, I'm a happy boy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's awesome. But – I, there's also a certain amount of challenge of being able to hunt, uh, by yourself. Yep. Um, and, and I do love the calling game, but a lot of my bulls, we don't call, you know, I learned that from Jared. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jared loves to call bulls, but he also, he's not prejudiced. He'll kill any bull. Yeah. Kill them in their bed, you know, uh, kill them on their way to feed, uh, on the way to water, like you name it, you know? So I love, to keep my my circle tight and i want to be happy for people um i've been doing this long enough that i've had some spots i'm sure you have too that have been blown out by people that you trusted and they came back with a truck full yeah and uh you did the work you found the spot you knew it and all of a sudden here you are 14 hours from home in a tree stand and some dude walks in that you know from home and you're like what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> like, crap, this is my spot. You know, I, and I, I know myself, so I want to be happy for that person. That's why I generally don't give out units. I don't give out parking areas. I don't give out cities. I don't give I just say states. Yep. Um, whether that's whitetail, whether that's elk or, because if you show up where I'm hunting, I want to be happy. 
I want to see Bo and be like, man, Bo, yeah. what the heck, dude? You are a killer. Yeah. Like, here you are, man. You're Seems my spot. Like, yeah. like yeah. let's go kill it out, you yeah. know? Like, and I want to be happy for you. And I will be happy for you if you found it yourself and did the work. But if we were at a total archery challenge and I told you about yeah, a trailhead, like, yeah. and I'm like, you dirty little bastard. Yep. And, and that's why I don't want to know other people's exactly. thoughts. Just as, I don't want you to tell me, nope. oh, because then it's like, well, shit, I can't go there. Exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. you have honor and integrity. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, now I've got to figure out my own spot. Dang it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, hey. Yeah, nice to meet you, too. <laughs> welcome to TAC. Yeah, welcome to TAC. <laughs> <laughs> You're famous, bro. No, I don't think so. Just <laughs> you are here, bro. I guarantee <laughs> it. Pennsylvania. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Home court advantage. Anyways, no, I, I, I totally I totally get that. And uh, it, I, I didn't think people actually did that because it's just like in your head, like that's just not something that you, that you do. But there, pe- people do that. People do it. People I've, do that. I've burned so many spots. And, you know, once you – I mean, you've killed some great deer. Especially when, you know, big deer start to go down, big bulls start to go down. Now, all of a sudden, the game gets a little dirty if you're not careful. Yeah. But if you have the right crew, it's awesome. Yep. So much fun. Luckily, nobody's following me around elk hunting at this point. So <laughs> you Stick know? around. Yeah. So yeah. that works. But How many no, bulls have you killed? Only one. Just one. Yep. All right. Yep. I've only killed one It was one a good bull. one. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Nope. That was that was the last time that I've hunted elk, like focused on it. Um, I hunted a couple days last year. So this year, getting back into it. Awesome. And I'm freaking pumped about it because that was in 2019. Heck and I went yeah. to Alaska the year after that. And, and yeah. So I'm just freaking ecstatic that's and awesome so you've you've been hunting elk for how many years now uh since 2005 so 16 17 years yeah yep that's awesome and yep. and i know you've hunted through a bunch of different states and what how do i want to ask this i don't want to ask you okay how, how many bulls have you killed throughout those years and how like do you go out like every year to hunt elk now i've missed one year okay in there and i I don't know the exact number. I've killed fourteen or fifteen, That's right in there. Freaking crazy! Yeah, that's why I I, th- I thought I I don't know if someone told me that or you said that. I was like, that's an, uh, a ridiculous. I I number. love elk hunting. Yeah. like I'm passionate. I've been blessed to kill multiple bulls on the same year and at times. And, and, and a Michigan boy fun. that now lives in Texas and just. You can do it. I'm yeah. just here to give people hope. Yeah. Uh, you know, some fat kid from Michigan, you know, can get it done. <laughs> yeah. Here I am. You it's know? Just, yeah. No, that's, it's so, it's so awesome. And, and now you do, you do live in Texas. I do. Yeah. And how long ago did you move there? About 15 years ago. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty been... close to, I get, hold on. I think I got that date right, wrong. Well, two th- 2007. So yeah, pretty close. Okay. Yeah. 14. What made you want to go from Michigan to Texas, like the polar opposites? Uh, so I started a business and, um, the long and the short of it is, uh, there was a better job opportunities down there and, uh, I got a really good opportunity to start a business with a guy and, um, my wife's, uh, father lived down there as well. So it was an opportunity for us to be closer to him. And, um, so there was just a few things that kind of lined up and honestly, I didn't want to move down there. Um, and one of my buddies said, why not? Have you ever lived there? And I'm like, no, I haven't. He's <laughs> like, go check it out. 
So I did. I went down there, and we we spent a week like driving around, and I couldn't believe the deer and the pigs. And I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, this is a bow hunter's paradise. Yeah. And so the area of Texas I live in has a lot of hunting opportunities, and I just love it. So I've never looked back. Yeah, it seems like fun. I mean, you, yeah, it seems like you're always able to hunt different yeah. species. Three sixty five, if we want. Texas is like just one of those places that's just. It's just so cool to me and, like, so eye-opening because it's so different than anywhere. Texas literally is on, like, its own country. It is. The United <laughs> State of Texas. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, and, and most people, when you meet them from Texas, especially the ones that were, like, born and bred there, oh, yeah. you know they're from Texas. They're right? proud. Yeah, they're In proud. In a healthy way. You yeah. Know? You know, I love I mean. the pride. Yeah. You know? I think that's so cool. There's not too many other places. Montana's another place yep. I found. Um, the local, the ones that grew up in Montana, sure. they are, you know, just proud as can be. And I think that's, I think that's, uh, speaks a lot for yeah. it. I think it's yeah. pretty cool. And of course, we're a little closer to elk hunting too. We got New Mexico and oh, yeah. and we got Colorado that's pretty close. So Yeah. What, what's your, what's your favorite thing to hunt in Texas? Axis deer. Axis deer. Yeah. Why there are many elk. There are many elk. There's all kinds of parallels uh, in fact ryan came down and hunted uh not that long ago and he said they're just many bulls i said they are they roar um the does talk they herd they have centuries you know they have does that are looking out just like cow elk mm-hmm. um they're tasty um i just love how they how they act it's spot and stalk a lot of times mm-hmm. um i love spot and stalk hunting so, it's definitely my favorite. But you can, it's hard to beat pig hunting, too. Pig hunting's fun. Yeah. Like it's, it's fun sticking hogs and, you know, thermals. Thermals are a go down there, too. So, yeah. I mean, don't threaten me with a good time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sounds so awesome. And I, I've heard a lot about axis deer and heard they taste amazing. Oh, they're fantastic. And, uh, yeah. That's, that's they're right so there cool. with elk. I would say they're maybe a touch better than elk. Really? Just because even with elk, you have to be careful not to overcook it. Yep. With Axis, you can basically burn it, and it still tastes good. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I, uh, I, I didn't. Why? Why is that? Is there? I don't know. I have no idea. They're so good, though. Huh. That's awesome. And yeah, hog hunting. That, that also looks just like so much fun. We got Audad. We got all kinds of you know black buck and you name it. And people are shocked that um, all the animals I just told you about they're free range, like. We're not hunting. I mean, I'm not against high fence. Yeah. Now that I live down there and I know that if you're hunting 15,000 acres, you're hunting 15,000 acres. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, we're hunting free range, axis, free range, aw, dad. It's crazy. Yeah, that is so cool. And, and like with Texas, it's an interesting state because it has almost no public land. So right. the opportunities are different than, yep. you know, than most other states like Pennsylvania or whatever else. Yep. And so with with that being said, like with Texas, it's more so is it getting in with leases, getting in with landowners or, or outfitters? Is that kind of how that's broken down for the most part? It's a combination of, of things. Uh, some outfitting. I'm actually an outfitter down there as well. And uh, mainly to open up opportunities for myself and yeah. for my family and stuff. Yeah. But uh, we do outfit, and then we do have leases. Uh, then some places that are smaller, it's just a handshake. And, you know, I've got one place I've hunted for the last, you know, well, since I've lived there. And it hasn't cost me a dime, but in return, I run security. I check their fences. I run trail cameras for trespassers um, and a bunch of different things in return. Oh. They let my son and I bow hunt. 
Oh, that's sweet. So what's your outfitting business called? Bone Mountain Outfitters. Bone Mountain Outfitters. Mm-hmm. And what, what can people come hunt like down with the, or do you have it yeah. open for anybody to come down and yeah, book it um, and anything? We're, we're a little full right now, but we have a few openings. We, we sell uh, pigs, uh, whitetails, awdad. Um, pretty much right now in okay. Texas. And then we also do um, mule deer uh, and uh, elk in Colorado. Awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Again, see, I just keep... I, I knew you, you did just keep some, learning stuff. Yeah, right? I, I, I knew you did outfitting, but I didn't know it was your own... It's one of those things that I... It's pretty much word of mouth. Like, I... I That's we so were sweet. full last year, so I don't need clients necessarily. And, yeah. And so a lot of times, I don't put it out there. I don't, yeah. you know, I don't promote it. I... I probably do it for the wrong reasons. I don't do it for money. Yeah. Um, I literally do it so that it opens opportunities for my son and I to hunt. And um, and I like helping people kill elk and mule deer. We killed some studs last year. So it's just a lot of fun. You, yeah. The, lo- the more you do it, I think, the more that you realize that there's more to life than just filling your trophy room. Yep. That there's other things that fulfill you a little bit more, a lot more. Yeah. And uh, – I'm trying to figure that hopefully earlier rather than later. <laughs> that's that's awesome, man. Yeah. I I think that's so cool and getting to help other people by doing it and yeah, uh, <laughs> another person walking. I love the it. Camera. <laughs> 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 but um, anyways, well, where can where can people find? Do you have like a website for Bone Mountain? Man, I run just... most everything through my Instagram. Probably really? yeah. People okay. reach out to me. It's Helm yeah, and so usually people reach out to me there, and then I go from there. But that's it. Awesome. I like it, man. Yeah. Well, Jeff, thank you for coming on and finally getting to sit down and talk with you here and get to learn even more and more about you. So uh, appreciate you sharing the knowledge with everybody here. Good luck this year, buddy. Yeah, you too, man. It's going to be fun. Um, Oh, yeah. One last thing. Where where are you hunting this year? Man, it's going to be a busy year. Not specific. I got it. Um, No, so I actually have uh, have four elk tags this year. So uh, it's a really good year. I drew some tags. I drew an Arizona elk tag, which is a dream come true. Um, I drew a coveted Montana tag, archery, which is fantastic. And I have an Oregon elk tag and a Colorado elk tag. So I'm going to be a busy boy. Yes, you are. Yeah. That's exciting. Well, at least the Arizona one's outside of September. Yes, it is. So yep. that that helps you a little bit there. Yep. <laughs> yep. And Oregon is actually August. Oh, so I'll be in in there. So that kind of splits it up. Um, that should be good. That's cool. Well, and where are you going to be? I'm going to be in Montana. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to be hunting Montana. So I'll do a combo tag, elk and deer, hunt elk in September, go back out for deer in November. Really looking forward to it, man. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jeff, again for coming on. And you bet. Talk to you soon, buddy. You bet. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.